It is, I guess, great to be with you in air quotes this morning. So we finish out Galatians 6, not finish out the book, that's next week, but we're getting to a part of application, Galatians 6, 1 through 10, moving out of chapter 5 into some ideas on how to build the idea of love. How do we love? Now, if you are in our house ever, especially though right now, what you will find everywhere are Legos. Everywhere. I mean everywhere. Upstairs, downstairs, on the stairs, in our bedroom. Uh, my kid showed me his foot, one of my sons, uh, just last night at dinner. He said, my foot hurts. I looked at it, a little, little cut on the side. I said, it looks like you stepped on a Lego. He goes, oh yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, that stepped on a Lego. That has been our life as we learn how to do this school distance thing. And so a lot of Legos get built. And if you've never done this, if you've never built Legos, number one, you're missing out. But two, it can be a little intimidating depending on the size of the box or the set you're building. Essentially what happens is you're given bags and bags and bags of parts and books and books and books of instructions. And you dump out the bags and you go to the instructions and you have to do it in the right order and in the right way. And if you mess it up, it gets really confusing. So you go bag at a time, instruction at a time. But then if you're like us, that gets a little boring after it's built. You don't just keep it built, that's lame. So beyond just the building of it, you then take it apart. After you take it apart, you build other things. And then where we are right now is we go, let's go ahead and start rebuilding the things we've done. So we then have to go back and we have to put find pieces. Like half of our day is spent finding Lego pieces. And you think I'm joking. It really does feel like half of our day, at least for one of my kids, Half of his day is spent going through bins of Lego pieces. Now, it can become exhausting. It can become a little overwhelming. But I think it's funny because very often in our walks with the Lord, that's kind of how we feel, especially if you're new in the faith, but really for anybody. You sometimes feel like the Bible's just given to you, and it's just kind of poured out before you, dumped out, and there's all these pieces, and you have to kind of build together what it means to walk with the Lord. So you have to go, well, I'm going to take, I'm going to take this idea, I'm going to take this verse, I'm going to take this verse, I'm going to take this thing I heard in this sermon, I'm going to take this song, and we're going to build whatever it is that helps us, we think, hold our lives together. This is how so many of us operate in any, any time. We just kind of go, the Bible's there, it's a scattershot, I'm going to have to figure out how to piece this thing together, and I'm going to do my best but I really don't have any idea if it's working. It become incredibly overwhelming. Well, lucky for us, and by God's grace and God's grace alone, as we read through the scriptures, he actually puts the pieces together for us. So we get to see how these pieces start to connect, how they build off of one another. We don't just have the box dumped out and say, good luck, we'll see you later. But these pieces work together. And that's what we're going to get in Galatians 6, 1 through 10, which comes just on the heels of what Matt preached about last week of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 25 and 26 says this, If we live by the Spirit, 
Let us also keep in step with the Spirit, right? Live by the Spirit, we have life by the Spirit, so let's walk along as the Spirit would have. Let us not become conceited, full of ourselves, overconfident in what we can do, provoking one another or envying one another. So it ends, the walking by the Spirit, with this idea of let us, let us walk by, let us keep in step with, let us not become conceited, but then, then in 6, 1 through 10, we get to see how this actually works. So let's read Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him, restore her, in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So we have coming out of Galatians 5, 25 and 26, let us walk by the Spirit, let us not become conceited. Then we have actual behaviors. And this is one of the first times in such a short amount of time in Galatians that we're given kind of in succession ideas on how to live out this love. Now remember what we read a few weeks ago is that all that matters is faith working itself through love. So often in this book, the idea of work has been seen negatively because it's been viewed as work for our salvation. But work out of love has been applauded. It's been what we should be doing. But there hasn't been a lot of discussion on how work through love, kind of rooted in faith, expressing itself in love, actually looks. This is how it's going to look. So we're going to break this down in a couple of just imperatives. What does faith expressing itself through love, a life motivated by the Spirit, what does it look like? And we'll see that as we build, kind of paragraph by paragraph, we get these ideas together, and we'll see this building itself out. And the first idea is just from verse 1, and it's this. We express love through, you can say it like that, we express love through or by gentle restoration. It's verse 1, gentle restoration. Look at what we see here. Brothers, sisters, and anyone is caught, snared, trapped in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him or restore her in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This passage assumes that people will get caught, trapped 
and ensnared in sin. And it can creep up on you. It can become, in a moment's notice, you realize you took a wrong turn. Or it can happen kind of over the course of months and years. Decision by decision, those things start to erode. But if anyone's caught, anyone finds themselves there, there should be those who are spiritual. Those who are spiritual should restore him or restore her. They feel trapped. Godly brothers and sisters come along and help. Now, this is a weird phrase for us, you who are spiritual, because we kind of use the idea of being spiritual as a joke. Oh, you're super spiritual. I don't want to talk to you. Oh, you're super, you're super Krish is a word that I use. Like, you're the super Christian. You know everything, and you have all the Bible memory, and you have it all together. So the spiritual ones, right? Like, oh yeah, we use that almost derogatorily, right? This isn't what it's talking about, because where did we just come from in Galatians 5? Walking by the Spirit. So you who are spiritual means you who are currently walking in the power of the Spirit. You who are abiding in Christ. You who are listening to His voice and doing as He would do. That is what He means. So the spiritual ones are the ones who are walking with the Lord. And they're to come alongside and restore the one who is in sin. That would mean that this person who is in sin is currently not walking by the Spirit. So the ones who are walking by the Spirit restore the one who has, in a sense, abandoned walking by the Spirit for however long that season might be. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the community leaders. In fact, there is no delineation on who you who are spiritual is other than those who walk with Jesus, which means... Which means that even somebody who has been walking with the Lord for six months can be empowered by God's Spirit to confront a brother or sister in his or her sin if done graciously, kindly, gently. It's not something you have to wait 10, 15, 20 years of walking with the Lord to do. But this should be a normative way that we as Christians operate. In love, by the Spirit, restoring people. And at the same time, and don't miss this, at the same time, those who are spiritual need to watch over themselves. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, which means we have to approach it humbly. We can't think, oh, hey, you know what? Let me correct you. I know what's up. I know how to fix this. I know what's wrong with you. We can't approach a brother or sister as if we have a certain sin lit, finished, done but as people who also understand human frailty, people who also hurt and ache and struggle. It is so much better. And I've been on one side of this. I've been on both sides of this. It's so much better to have someone come to you humbly and correct you than it is for someone to come to you and say, how come you haven't fixed this yet? How come you haven't been able to get rid of this yet? I cannot believe it. Why don't you just live like me? Well, there's nothing honoring to the Lord about that approach. The approach that's proper is to keep watch over ourselves, to understand our hearts, to understand where we are, and that we too, on you know, Monday morning, we might be the one who is correcting, but on Tuesday afternoon, we might be the one who is being corrected. Keep watch over yourselves, lest you too be 
tempted. So it has to be done from a position of humility, thinking little of ourselves in light of what God has done for us, and then two, love. Humility because we know that we could struggle. Love because we know what God has done for us, and we can reflect it. So gentle restoration is that first idea on how we express love. Gentle restoration. The second idea comes from verse 2, which is the bearing of burdens. Bearing burdens, right? Something we probably are all feeling in some way right now. So different than a sin is a burden. It doesn't mean bearing sins in this way. Jesus bore our sins. We can't bear sins of other people. But we can bear burdens. And thus we fulfill the law of Christ. So bearing burdens is the second way. So what do we read in verse 2? But we read, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We all have areas of life where we are overwhelmed. We all have areas of life where we are not sure what's going to happen. We all have loads that feel like they are just too heavy for us to carry. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing because it requires, demands, forces us to lean on our brothers and sisters around us to bear these burdens with us. That doesn't mean it no longer becomes our burden. It is our burden. But it does mean that we have people around us who can help us bear these burdens. God gives every single person, every single one of you, God gives certain things to. Other people don't have them. But God has also given us one another. And we can bear these burdens for one another. We can help one another. We can be an encouragement. We can provide financial assistance. We can pray. We can show up. We can buy groceries. We can do things for people that serve them and help them to carry their loads. Right now, unique opportunities exist about people's fears, anxieties, finances, and faith. They wonder where the next paycheck is going to come from. They wonder if they're going to have a job in a week or in two weeks or in three weeks. They wonder what's going to happen when their child is born. They wonder what's going to happen if they start coughing around their friends. They wonder what's going to happen if they're seen going outside. They wonder what happens if they're going to be grateful for something and people are going to judge them because we can't be grateful. Everybody has things that they're going through. Everybody has things that they're experiencing right here and right now. What we are able to do as brothers and sisters, is to move toward those people and find real, tangible, significant ways to help them. Well, actually, in the second paragraph, get to a lot of financial provision is what it talks about in the second paragraph a lot. But in doing this, in finding brothers and sisters, and praying for them, and listening to them, and hearing what's going on, and letting them kind of download. You ever been in a conversation with somebody and they just say to you, I'm so sorry, I just feel like I've talked the whole time. What are you doing in that moment? You're bearing a burden. You're allowing somebody to share with you what's going on. And the person who shared so often, it's almost it's like this physical lightning that happens. Or even just a conversation with somebody allows for them to go, this isn't the end of the world. You ever been in that conversation? Again, I've been on both sides of those things where somebody will say to me, this is what's going on and I can just listen. 
and they end feeling so much better. But so often, I've been the one that needs somebody to listen to me. I need to share. I need to go, this is what's happening in my life, and I need your input. I need your feedback. I need your prayer. I need lunch. Whatever it might be, I need to hear what you have to say. And then when I get done, you can almost float out. Why? The situation hasn't changed. Not at all. What has changed is now you have somebody in the trenches with you. And that is so significant. That's why if you're a Genesis and you're not connected to a community group, I would tell you, get connected to a community group. If you just show up and kind of swoop in on a Sunday, or right now there's not much swooping in, is there? You're just kind of watching at home. But if you show up and you swoop in on a Sunday and then you leave, and there's no relational connection beyond that, and insignificant things start to weigh you down in life, and there's no place to go with that, no people to go with that, you're actually, in a sense, you are removing or not, not engaging with a unique grace that God has given you, which is the church. It's not just this cool thing that exists just, just in order for us to all feel holy and happy. It's actually a body of people built together so that we might all be strengthened. And doing this fulfills the law of Christ, which is interesting, again, there's that word law. In doing this, you fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what does that mean? Remember our memory verse from 2019, John 13, 34, and 35? It goes like this. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Christ was giving a new command. He was giving a new law. And so in our bearing of burdens, what happens? We actually are living out what Jesus has asked his disciples to do. Another thing that we're able to do is that we're able to, in a sense, not perfectly at all, but in a sense, we are reflecting what Jesus has done for us. Now, what do I mean? Jesus bore our sin. We can't do that for others. Jesus bore our sin. When we are bearing burdens, we are saying, Lord, I can't do that, but I can do this. I can reflect your heart in helping someone carry something that they couldn't do on their own. And we are reflecting our Lord and our Savior. So we have that first idea, gentle restoration. Let's say it, gentle restoration. We have the second idea. What is it? Bearing burdens. Kids, say it to your parents right now in the room with them. Bearing burdens. <clears throat> then we have this third, and I kind of that's what I call this. It's not in the passage this way, but I call it sober self-evaluation, which is I know long words. And kids are like, what? Sober self-evaluation? I don't even know what that means. I get it. What it means in 3, 4, and 5 is that you think right about yourself. You know who you are. You know, uh, in a sense, what God has gifted you with, what he hasn't. You know what you're able to do and what you're not. Sober self-evaluation. Read this. For if anyone thinks, this is about bearing burdens, kind of explaining out of this. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Now that's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? Each one will have to bear his own load. But we just talked about how we need to bear one another's burdens. 
So just in, you know, just in this previous verse, bear one another's burdens. Then at the end of this paragraph, everyone needs to carry their own load. Come on, Paul. Help us out. What do you mean? Because that's not clear. Well, a few things are going on here. We're going to start with verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Think of it like this. When you are in a position where you are bearing one another's burdens, in a sense you know what it's like. You've been there. You care enough about seeing that person restored. If you have this you know, high and mighty attitude, which is, oh, I can't believe you're still there. I can't believe you're still struggling with that. I can't believe that's still an issue. You should have by now gotten past this issue. It's kind of hard for us to bear burdens, isn't it? Because we're too caught up with how we think we're awesome. We don't want to offer help to anybody else because we think we're everything. So Paul goes, hey, do you think you're something when really you're nothing? You're just a fool. You're deceiving yourself. That's not how it works. Instead, and he goes to verse 4, instead, look to your own life and see if you're actually in a sense, measuring up to what God has required. I don't mean this in the sense of salvation. But as God has gifted you, as He has equipped you, as He's given you other relationships around you, are you actually living in the way that God would have for you to live? So, so quick we can go, oh yeah, I'm good. But He's actually asking you to evaluate your heart. Evaluate your mind. Evaluate your actions. Listen to what one commentator, Longenecker, I like that name, Longenecker, right? Longenecker. But this is what he says about this passage. The warning here is not to live as spiritual people in a state of pride or conceit, always comparing one's own attainments to those of others and so feeling superior, but rather to test one's own actions and so to minimize the possibility of self-deception. Christian feelings of exaltation and congratulations should spring from one's own actions as seen in light of God's approval and not derived from comparing oneself to what others are doing or not doing. Isn't comparative righteousness kind of a, a gross thing? And what I mean by that is, is, is this. Oh, well, Matt Akers... Clearly, I'm more righteous than he is. Thus, he's nodding right now in agreement. Thus, I must be fine. Or, somebody else you have in mind is super, super spiritual. We use that with the air quotes. We go, I'm not as good as that person. So I have to get better. And what we're seeing here is that Paul's going, that's not how it works. You need to evaluate yourself in light of who you are in the Lord. And you need to recognize that and not compare work to work, righteousness to righteousness. God has given each person their own thing. That's what the focus is supposed to be. So Paul finishes the statement with a principle. We must all carry our own loads. So when you're bearing burdens, don't think you're something when you're really nothing. You deceive yourself. Actually, rather, consider who you are and consider what God has given you. Then he has this idea of we must all carry our own loads. Well, the idea between the load and the burden is a little different. The load is something you can't carry. The burden, uh, you might hear commentators talk about it like a backpack, right? These are the things that just as you live your life, you've learned how to live with and operate with. And so he talks about carrying burdens, carrying load. 
That is this. We must carry what the Lord has given to us. When there are situations that life has weighed us down in, the burden is to be shared. But life also provides for me my own opportunities to live faithfully and honestly with what God has given to me, and it's the same for you. There are times where you have to go, this is really, I have to operate with this. No one else can operate with this. This is, this is, this is me. So we're all also, in the same way, recognizing who we are, what God has done with us and in us and through us, and living with that. But recognizing that there are also things in our lives that are far too significant for us to carry alone. And those things God has given us one another for. So these are all ways that love is expressed, right? Through correction, the bearing of burdens, recognizing who we are so that we can actually be the person who can gently correct and who can bear burdens. All of that is a part of how we show love. I mean, imagine in Genesis, just that last one, the sober self-evaluation. Imagine how that changes how we critique. Imagine how that changes how we think about and talk to one another. Because now we're not trying to get them to ascend to some place where we are, but we're trying to point each of us to the Lord Jesus. It's a completely different way to approach it. So that's that first paragraph. The gentle restoration, bearing burdens, and sober self-evaluation. Then there's three more ideas that are all tied together. That start specific and then get more general. So they kind of start with one specific idea and they build out with a principle and then end with kind of this general do good to everybody. So we're going to go 6 through 10 here. The first area, now this is weird that I'm saying this, but I'm saying that the first area focuses specifically in being materially generous towards ministers. Right, I know. So you go like, oh great, so Hans is now a televangelist, which is how I feel being here on this screen going, oh hey, we're talking about money, like it's a little odd. But read verse 6. Let the one who has taught the word, taught the word, share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, think about the Galatians. Do you recognize how good teaching and bad teaching are kind of coming together here? And so what Paul is saying is, let the one who is teaching truth, let the one who is encouraging and restoring and engaging your heart, let that one share all good things with the one who is teaching. Let the one who is taught share with the one who is teaching. Love here is seen by providing for the needs of your ministers, especially those who labor in teaching. Now, before you start to think of this as a uh, public service announcement for me or anyone else, think of this more broadly. There were clearly times, we read even in the Thessalonians, uh, 1 and 2 Thessalonians in the F260, where Paul felt as if he needed to earn his money so as to not be a burden to the Thessalonians. But I don't think this view is normative for churches. Ideally, churches should be able to meet the needs of those who labor among them. In Genesis, we have elders, we call, might call them lay elders or non-staff elders. They work outside of a paid ministry capacity at the church, but you're more than welcome to hand the money, they probably won't take it. We have elders who are retired and they've already earned their primary income through other means, and then there are two of us who are graciously supported by the church. And what we have here is an obligation not to neglect those who, by God's grace and His kindness, are able to labor among us, 
and to help us be strengthened in the word. So notice like any other New Testament place where money is discussed, there's no unique amount given. We all give them whatever. There's simply an ethical obligation to share. Thus, your increases, think about this, your increases are not just your increases. They are to be shared. I'm going to get to this a little more a little later, but bear with me. Your stimulus check, if you should get one, is not necessarily just your stimulus check. In fact, some of you are in situations where you do not even potentially need it. So what should you do? I'm not saying give it to me or Venmo Matt or something like that, though you certainly could give Venmo Matt. Don't give it to me. What I'm saying is you have to consider what is going on and what that increase might actually be able to do to support the work going on in this world for the sake of the gospel, the reaching of the unreached, the ministry of a local church, going to places where people have not heard of Jesus. These are all things we need to consider when we think about how to live generously. It's actually a sign of love. Now, before we just talk too much about ministers in particular, I want to say Genesis is a generous and kind church in so many ways. <laughs> It then moves out of that, right? We said we start specifically and then go more broadly. It moves out of that to then talk about how this works in regards to just generosity toward others. This is 7, 8, and 9. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will weep, will, will, weep, uh, will, will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So we move this, this specific way of supporting ministers to then more broadly this principle. And this principle showed up in other places. As you reap, or as you sow, you will reap. And if you're stingy with your possessions, in the way that you share and to meet the needs of those around you, then you don't have this great harvest that comes after it. If you're generous with what God has given to you, what you find is that often and so often your needs are provided for, your heart is full, you are satisfied in ways that you had never thought. Whereas if you restrict and withhold and worry and think, I need to keep this for myself, when you live like that, you actually are unable to enjoy sowing or reaping because your world is all about you. The whole act of sowing in and of itself is a giving up of something that you have in your possession so that more might come of it. Get it? You're giving up. You have seed, right? You're giving that up and you're putting it into the ground so that something more might come of it. You could keep the seed forever. You could just stay there in the silo. But when you actually give it up, there's risk there, isn't it? You're not sure what's going to come. You're not sure. But if I just keep it, keep it there, if I keep it in the silo, at least I know where it is and what it's doing. You put it in the ground, you don't know what might happen, but in principle, what happens is more comes of it. Paul has an eye in this passage towards generosity. The flesh, remember we said you were operating in the flesh if you want to look good or be right. So one of my mentors told me that. The flesh is focused on self. The Spirit is focused on others. 
And we should not then grow tired, weary of doing good, being caring, being careful, giving of ourselves towards others. Here are a couple of ideas. We shouldn't tire of doing good. And that doesn't just mean the sharing of our finances. That's the sharing of our time. That's the sharing of our stuff. That's the sharing of our lives. Think of a few scenarios. I know that your boss, who is a church member, I don't actually know if this is true, right? Hypothetical. I know that your boss, who is a church member, isn't kind to you. But don't grow weary in doing good to him, to her, nonetheless. Right? Just be kind, gracious, generous. Pray for them. I know that your kids forget about you. And you go, you ungrateful kids! I can't believe you're acting this way! Don't stop caring for your kids. Kids, I know that your parents can exhaust you, but sometimes your attitude towards them is the grace that they need to realize their own wrong. Did you think about that? You can actually, through your attitude, rebuke your parents. I'm not saying that you should just go ahead and try that all the time, but through how you actually approach your mom or your dad, you actually, that's doing good to them, and that can teach them something about the Lord that so often is corrective. And I've been in enough conversations with moms and dads to realize that they're watching you. They're listening to you. They're learning from you. So that as you have a certain attitude toward them, it actually changes their heart. They might not tell you that, but it, they do. Your spouse might exhaust you, but don't grow weary. I know you feel like your church isn't as concerned about you as they should be, but continue to pray for them and those around you. Continue to pray for your community group leader. Continue to pray for those friends in your life who are walking through things with you, and you feel like you're more concerned about them than they are of you. Right? We're not here to compare. Continue. Don't grow weary. Because what makes us grow weary? If we expect it back. I will do good to you if you do good to me, that I, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And when, once we start to do that, we realize that our attention has shifted, hasn't it? We do good, we do good, we do good, but ultimately it's because we're hoping good comes back to us. But what if you're kind to somebody for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, and nothing comes of it? What do you do? Forget it. There are lost cause. It's not how it should be. Don't grow weary, because you will reap if you do not give up. The perseverance of those who know Jesus can exist because of the spirit that's in them and their recognition of the Lord who has not given up on them. That can be our motivation in times where we have found ourselves exhausted. And then he summarizes it with verse 10. So let's do good to all, especially those who are in the family of faith, the household of faith. Do good to all. <clears throat> the sixth way of expressing that love. How do we know? How do the Lego bricks fit? Let the Lego bricks fit? Well, every opportunity God gives you to every person to do good is a way to live life by the Spirit. I title the sermon. I don't even usually tell you what my sermon titles are. They're more there for the like the video that comes later. But love revealed through relationships. There's not another way, really, for us to recognize or demonstrate 
that the gospel is real, than when we care for and walk through life with others. Love revealed in relationships. Christians have an obligation toward those around them to do good to them at every opportunity. That means, for example, care for your community group. Be concerned about those who are in the membership of this church with you. Ask how someone is doing. If you think they're struggling or you think they're not, you'll be surprised. And I have this way of asking kind of the follow-up to the follow-up. I'll go, how are you? Somebody goes, I'm fine. I go, are you really fine? And then all of a sudden, I'm actually not really fine. Give of your finances. If you have means, it's a great time to consider how you might use it. If you do get a stimulus check and you realize that you don't need it as much as somebody next to you might need it or you can't use it in the same way somebody else might be able to use it, just give it. Be generous with it. And Jesus tells stories about this, doesn't he? When he talks about those who are forgiven much and then they go and they're really stingy with somebody else to a far smaller amount. So when we are given, we too should give. We don't become hoarders. Why? Because that's not what the Lord has done with us. When Jesus gives all of himself for all of us, then we realize what he has done, and that we are to do the same. Pray for your neighbor. Ask them what they need. Don't take 15 rolls of toilet paper. I don't even know what the deal is with toilet paper and why so many people are worried about it. Don't hoard it. Like Even these little things, we're at the grocery store and we're worried about the apocalypse and there won't be enough food. You'll be okay. Right? Think about the one beside you. Let them get the last box. Let them get the last bag. Let them get the last thing. Let them go in line in front of you. Right? I know these things right now, when we get so focused on ourselves, become times for us to go, oh, well, is it, it's good to protect. No. It's never good to self-protect at the detriment of those around us. Jesus has taught us that. He's taught us that because he died for us. He gave himself for us. And so when we think about that, then these ideas make perfect sense. These six ideas. Gentle restoration. How do we show love? We restore. We want to see people walking with Jesus. We bear burdens. Number two, we have a sober self-evaluation. Number three, we provide for those around us. Number four, our ministers, number four, we live generously towards others, number five, and we do good to all. This is what life in the Spirit can look like. This is how the fruit of the Spirit actually bears itself out in relationships. To be able to operate this way requires the Spirit of Christ in us to do for others what is needed and to do for us what we need, or else we burn out, which is another way of phrasing for us, don't grow weary. When you burn out, you've grown weary, and you're done. Continue in these things, and even ask God to provide the means for you to do even more good for more people, if you are able, as He supplies our needs.